My 94-year-old grandmother's name is Catherine Bauer. And just this summer, I flew to Texas to visit her. And we sat on the couch, and we talked every night. And it was the same couch that I grew up on, same couch that a quarter century ago I slept on the night after my grandfather died. And we'd sit on that couch every single night talking. And she would tell me about what it was like to grow up in Vienna, Austria. She told me stories of her family, the Jewish community, the shoe store that my great-grandfather Theodore owned, who I get my middle name from. And she told me about, in that shoe store, that Theodore met Benjamin Schwartz. Now, this business connection that he made turned out to be the connection that enabled me to stand here today. It was after Kristallnacht that my grandmother's parents, my great-grandparents, they knew that it was time to get out. They'd waited too long. And so they immediately went to the U.S. Embassy and they asked if they could come to America. They said, no, quota's full. They said, well, just take our daughter. They said, we're sorry, the quota's full. So they found a loophole. They've got her a visa to go over to London to become a nanny. So they sent their little girl over to London in a plane. And she lived in a small little room with cracks in the wall and snow would come in at nighttime. And during that time period, Mr. Schwartz sponsored Theodore, and he came to New York. Now, my grandmother couldn't come yet because they weren't yet married. But two weeks before the Blitz came, she finally got her affidavit. She got on the boat and arrived in New York. And she remembers going past on the boat, going past the Statue of Liberty towards Ellis Island, where Hyas, the Hebrew Immigration Aid Society, integrated her into 1940s America. And ever since arriving here, she has loved this country. And I'm not just saying love. I mean, she loves this country. And I didn't understand it. And I asked her to explain it to me because I see people like our country. A lot of people criticize our country. But they don't cavell about it. And my grandmother, she cavells about this country. She talks about it as if it's a parent which is holding her after you've been scared and they're protecting you. But after having to flee from her home and coming to a place that had a welcome statue with a sign on it that said, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, it was right then. That's when my grandmother fell in love. Because my family, we were tired. We used all of our money to get here and we wanted more than anything to be free. Now, her story and my grandfather's story, they're not unique stories. There was a war, a war beyond anyone's comprehension, and we were left with one option, flee, because we had this audacious vision of wanting to live. Now, how many people in this room, show me hands, who have a similar story to this in their family? Now, that's who we are. And it's who we are. It's not just in this generation. This is who we've been in every generation prior to this. We are people who identify with the other. The number one mitzvah in the Torah, and by number one I mean the mitzvah which is most repeated over and over again. It says you were a stranger. You were a slave in Egypt. You know what it's like to be a stranger. Therefore, never treat anyone the way that you were treated. And the Torah, it pounds this mitzvah in our head over and over. 36 times it does it. 
And it's meant to inform everything that we do, from how we perceive the world, to how we devise our land rights, to how we view the immigrant, to how we hand out food to the homeless, even your daughter's hot dog from Costco every once in a while. On our most celebrated holiday, and that's not today, statistically speaking, it's Passover, our pedagogically most brilliant holiday. We act out as if we are slaves. We eat the food of slaves. We taste the bitterness. And for a week, we relish in this because we're celebrating that we are free. We freed ourselves with God. But we never mention Moses. Not in any Haggadah ever written has there ever been a mention of Moses because it's not about him. It's about us. And every day when we pray Michamocha, which we started with this morning, a small section of the Torah where we were migrants fleeing Egypt. It's the part of the Torah when we're standing on the edge of the sea. And behind us, the Egyptians are coming to get us. They're galloping. In front of us, just water. And we're stuck. We just thought we were free. We thought we were finally safe. We were celebrating our freedom and the fact that we had escaped death and destruction. But now we've hit this barrier. And the barrier, it's not a wall. It's not a person. It's this vast body of water sitting right in front of us. And it's in that moment, in the noise, in the chaos, with kids screaming, parents crying, realizing we're done. We reached our end. Almost in a place of solace, we look down at our hands, and we see these worn and these tired hands, and we look at our calluses on our hands, and we realize these are the hands that built Egypt. We look on our fingernails and we see the dough still caked into the cracks from making the matzahs just yesterday as we fled Egypt. And then we see our knuckles and we're holding the staff in our hands. And we realize that that is the staff that caused all the miracles in Egypt. That's the staff that led us to this point. And it's right then when we realize that our hands are powerful, but our collective hands are revolutionary. And we hold out our trembling hands over the water. And we say, Mika And at that point, whew, the sea parts. When we thought we were doomed and it was all over, we saw freedom. That, right there, that's our identity. We identify with the other. We identify with the slave. That's why the Jews in this country made up half of the young people that participated in the Mississippi Freedom Summer of 1964. The number of Jews that were engaged in the civil rights movements was massively disproportionate to our actually numbers in the population because those African Americans caught and stuck in the South, they were our people. We knew what it was like to feel like a stranger in our own land. And we knew how powerful our collective hands could be. In this synagogue, in this community, Rabbi Irving Reichert made the German Jewish refugees a top priority in this city in the 1930s. One of the rabbis that Irving Reichert helped bring over from Germany brought a Torah with him. It was the only possession that he had, and he gave it to Irving Reichert to thank him. Rabbi Reichert even went to Nazi Germany in 1937 to see what was happening. And Emmanuel absorbed so many immigrants and took care of so many that this synagogue 
became the model for every other synagogue in the United States. By the 1970s and the 1980s, our community band together to help the Russian immigrants come to our country and our community. Emmanuel became band together with JCRC and JVS and JFCS, where we brought people in, we protested at the consulate, we helped them get jobs, we helped them resettle, and then we helped them become deeply integrated into this community. Now that's what the generations have done before us. And right now, our generation is being tested. And we will be remembered by what we do at this moment. The war the world is in, it does not have a name. Not yet. But we are seeing a melting of borders just like we saw in World War I and in World War II. 12 million Syrians have been displaced, with 4 million fleeing the country. But that's just Syria. There are 60 million people that have been driven from their homes by war and persecution. This is the largest number since World War II. The New York Times, they calls this a number which is an unprecedented global exodus. And we know about exodus, don't we? Refugees are being put onto trains. And they're told that they're going to Austria. But instead, they're ending up in concentration camps surrounded by razor wire and dogs. And as they get off, they've had numbers with permanent marker written on their hands. Prime Minister Viktor Orban of Hungary has said that Europe's Christian roots, roots are being threatened. Sound familiar? These refugees, they've taken a very different route from the one that my family took. From Hungary through Austria to the promised land, Germany. Germany has opened her arms to 800,000 refugees, with Germans welcoming them in and cheering. 800,000 migrants to Germany is equivalent to 3.2 million people coming to the United States. As of Sunday, John Kerry announced that the total number of refugees the U.S. would accept was being raised from 70,000 to 85,000. And then the following year, to 100,000, without specifying were those additional 30,000 if they were going to be Syrian refugees or not. Now, if we compare that to the citizens of Munich, they welcomed in 25,000 refugees in a weekend. According to Hyas and the Refugee Council USA, this number falls short, and they're calling for accepting 100,000 Syrian refugees over and above the current refugee ceiling. Now, in the U.S., we have taken in 1,500 Syrian refugees in the past four years since the crisis began. Now, surely we can do better. In prior generations, our community stood up and we acted. And so we, we have to ask ourselves, if we stand back and we're passive observers of this moment and we don't engage with the other, how can we come into the sanctuary with all of our ritual garb on, our beautiful music, our penitent prayers, if we're just talking the talk of Michamocha? Then why were we the people entrusted with that staff as we left Egypt? If we don't stand up and use our voices and our power to welcome in the huddled masses who have the radical notion of coming to live a life where they're safe and free, 
then what are we doing in the sanctuary? Being Jewish, it means acting Jewish. If we want to ensure the next generation of Judaism, we need to show our children that we mean what we pray, we mean what we sing, we mean it when we're at the Passover table talking about being free and helping other people be free. We should be creating a stark contrast to how we were treated in the global conflict of the 1930s and the 1940s when we were called a European problem and we were blocked when we tried to flee. We must be that generation that helps bring in the refugees during this global conflict. So what can we do? Events are moving quickly and so are we. During these past 10 days of awe, our community partners have been in touch with high-level people at the State Department and HIAS who are in the refugee camps trying to assess the situation and determine where the need is the greatest. And so here's what we can do internationally, nationally, and locally. Internationally. Now, the best thing we could do is to stop the problem at its point of origin in Syria. But short of that, the most impact that we can have is to help the first border that the refugees are crossing into. Therefore, we're recommending to donate to the Jewish Coalition for Disaster Relief, the JCDR. Now, they've recently formed a Jewish coalition for Syrian refugees in Jordan. The JCDR is focusing its response on those 630,000 refugees in Jordan because Jordan has, to date, one of the largest and the most rapidly growing populations of Syrian refugees nationally. Honestly, I'm going to ask you to do what I wish someone would have done for my family, my family that didn't get out of Austria. I'm requesting that you call your representative to open up our gates wider and increase the quota of the refugees, because surely we can do better. And locally. And you might be thinking, locally? How can I make an effect locally? Well, that's exactly what our SETA Council, the group that just did the ALIA here, our Social Justice Committee, is working on. We're asking you to sign up to be a volunteer contact. According to Jewish Family and Children's Services and HIAS, the State Department has stated that we, the Bay Area, may resettle some Syrian orphans. Syrian children whose parents have been killed in this devastating conflict. If some orphans are in fact resettled here, we are going to need help. We aren't sure specifically with what yet. It may be tutoring. It may be mentoring. You may even have the opportunity to bring one of the children into your home. But there are a lot of moving parts right now. So we don't know for certain what the future holds. So for now, we're just asking you to tell us if you want to help, if the time comes. That way, our mitzvah army will be ready. Imagine this. Out of the 100,000 refugees that should be coming to the U.S., you may be able to make a hands-on difference in an orphan's life. Imagine the effect that we could have collectively if each person in this room, look around, if each one of us made a donation, if each of us called three of our friends and asked them to help. Because this is not an individual job. This is a collective one. Because those organizations and these people, they're going to need a massive amount of help. Imagine what it would feel like in six months from right now, at your Seder table, when you look your children 
or your grandchildren in the eye, and you teach them about how you helped free a refugee, how you helped part the sea. Now, if you go on our website, you're going to see a page that will give you a chance to help in this. And it's not, I don't want to call it a cause. Because for us, this is not a cause. This is our obligation. This is what we do. For us, this is not a cause. This here, this is a Jew's calling. Because we here in San Francisco are the third largest Jewish community in the United States. Only behind New York and Los Angeles. And of the Bay Area, we, Congregation Emmanuel, are the largest group of Jews by a long shot. So we don't have the luxury to hope that someone else is going to do it. We're not a small community that's going to go unnoticed when the history books are written 50 years from now. What we do or what we do not do, it will be noticed, it will be remembered, and it will be written about. Being a member of Emmanuel means you are a part of history. In Exodus, we stand on the shore as hungry, scared, weak, reliant, and poor refugees, hoping and praying to God that a miracle happens as we look out over that water. But today, we are the most powerful group of Jews in the history of Judaism. Never before have we had a voice or the ability to cause so much change as we do at this very moment. But now, we're standing on the opposite side of the shore, and we're looking back across that water. And what we see are not Syrians or Afghans or Africans. What we see is us, 60 million of us. And those people are not those people. They're us. And so the question that we must ask ourselves as a generation is what are we going to do with that staff that we now have in our hands as we look across the water, as we look across the Atlantic, at those refugees, at those children, at those orphans? Prayer for Children by Ina Hughes. We pray for children who put chocolate fingers everywhere, who like to be tickled, who stomp in puddles and ruin their new pants, who sneak popsicles before supper, and who raise holes in their math books, who can never find their shoes. And we pray for those who stare at photographers from behind barbed wire, who've never squeaked across the floor in new sneakers, who've never counted potatoes, who are born in places that we wouldn't be caught dead, who never go to the circus, who live in an X-rated world. And we pray for children who bring us sticky kisses and fistfuls of dandelions, who sleep with the dog and bury the goldfish, who hug us in a hurry and forget their lunch money, who cover themselves with Band-Aids and sing off-key, who squeeze the toothpaste all over the kitchen sink, and who slurp their soup. And we pray for those who never get dessert, 
who watch their parents watch them die. Who have no safe blanket to drag behind. Who can't find any bread to steal. Who don't have any rooms to clean up. Whose pictures aren't on anybody's dresser. Whose monsters are real. We pray for children who spend all their allowance before Tuesday. Who throw tantrums in the grocery store and pick at their food. Who like those stories. Who shove dirty clothes under their bed and never rinse out the tub. Who get visits from the tooth fairy. Who don't like to be kissed in front of the carpool. Who squirm in synagogue and scream on the phone. Whose tears we sometimes laugh at. And whose smile can make us cry. And we pray for those whose nightmares come in the daytime, who will eat anything, who have never seen a dentist, who aren't spoiled by anybody, who go to bed hungry and cry themselves to sleep, who live and move but have no being. We pray for children who want to be carried and for those who must, for those we never give up on and for those who don't get a second chance, for those we smother, and for those who will grab a hand of anybody kind enough to offer. Avinu Malkenu, give us the will to rise to the task of this moment and to reach out our collective hands to place a staff over that water and to part the sea to safety. Amen.